The Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129 presents America This Week, a smart Catholic take on faith and culture with Father Matt Malone and Carrie Weber. Good day and welcome to the broadcast. I'm Father Matt Malone, Editor-in-Chief of America Magazine. And I'm Carrie Weber, and each week we offer you the news and analysis from the intersection of the church and the world, gathered by our team at America Magazine. And one of our team joins us here in the studio, uh, Jim Keane, who is Senior Editor at America. Jim, nice to have you with us. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Carrie. It's good to be here. Indeed. And we have here with us to talk about Jesuit education today, Father Michael McCarthy, who is Vice President for Mission Integration and Planning and an Associate Professor of Theology at Fordham University here in New York City. Welcome. Thank you very much, Carrie. Now, your article for us is called The Uncertain Future of Jesuit Education, and you tie uh, the the Jesuit educational institutions into into dystopian literature, which is maybe not a natural connection for most people, but can you tell us how you came to bring those things together? Sure. It is kind of natural if you are in higher education. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you read the literature on higher education, either in the Chronicle of Higher Education or, or in fact, in, you know, the Wall Street Journal, the the New York Times, etc., there is this sense, uh, this great concern that higher education is really broken. Mm. And and that uh, I think most institutions are concerned that... Um, you know, the, the, they're n- not all of them are going to be able to make it. And, and so, so I, I, was, I was watching on Netflix this, this dystopic, um, this dystopic uh, show, uh, Altered Carbon, and I thought, you know what? There, there is, a, there is a, an analogous genre of dystopian literature that uh, is, is very much prevalent in, in uh, the world of higher education. So that's how I came to it. Well, I think a lot of people think of colleges and universities as these sort of everlasting, you know, ivory towers set in literal stone, right, that will just go on and on forever and always be these wonderful places for learning. Uh, And it's gotten a lot more complicated these days. I wonder, can you tell us a little bit how the approach to higher education is, is sort of changing to make it so? Sure. Well, I I think the there's there's a basic economic concern, right? That that particularly for for, for private institutions, they rely you know significantly on tuition, and in order to keep everything running at, at a university, from professors to all of the infrastructure to even things like um, you know that that might not have been so prevalent. 40, 50 years ago, such as psychological services for students, all of that is really quite costly. And so as a result, tuition has, has gone up. And so there's this great question as to, as to whether this is, is sustainable business-wise. Um, and in, in some places, you know, um, if, if, if a place has, has a huge endowment, it's, it's easier to run. But I think there is a great concern, just the fiscal reality um, is uh, is problematic. I also think too that that increasingly um, the American public, which has always thought that it was great for their uh, for young people to go to college, it, it's not necessarily a given that the that the vast majority of Americans uh, think that college is, is is worth it. Right. And you also say here. Uh, uh, you make that, that that this is taking place in in uh, in the context of a larger shift, um, and you write uh, as smart, generous, and hardworking as they are, there there is a deep vulnerability 
and a habitual distrust in the values and authorities that provided previous generations with confidence and direction. Uh, and you mentioned here a sense of citizenship and religious commitment to name just two. And that sounds like a, a little bit like what we were talking about at the top of the hour, um, where the sort of traditional social or familial or communal supports um, ha- are, are, are have changed dramatically. But on the other hand, it, it also sounds very familiar to me. Like it, uh, one might have said this about my generation or the generation before that as well when we were 20 uh, or 21 years old. So how is it, how is, how is uh, now really specifically different, do you, do you yeah, think? Yeah, first of all, I would say um, students that I teach are by and large really fantastic. Mm-hmm. They are generous. They are smart. Uh, they want to lead good lives, and 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 that really hasn't changed, right? And and I find them also, too, uh, spiritually hungry, right? That 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 hasn't really changed. Uh, I think what has changed is their um, th- their expectation uh, that a message can be true. <laughs> Um, and and I I, uh, I co-teach a course with with somebody who um, who knows social media a lot. And one of the things that he that he told me is that is that the gener- a generation that has been raised with social media is has has been um, habituated to being suspicious. Mm-hmm. And so and so that kind of affects that affects a lot, right? So so if you are um, if you are trying to talk about the religious values, if if the, the the default position is is one of suspicion, it's just a lot harder um, for them to to trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think too that 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 there is um, you know most of the evidence suggests that anxiety is just, uh, the the psychological reality of anxiety is has become very very high among college students these days um, and, and why why is that do you think I don't know <laughs> I right. wish I wish I, I wish I knew the answer to that question right. I don't know why I wonder if it's related and I don't know either but I wonder if it's somehow related to our being immersed in this ocean of information from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep I suspect that's very much the case and I suspect it's also the case that um, not all students feel a sense of belonging or a sense of, of, of community that, that does ground you uh, as you face the, the things that you're, you're frightened about. Mm-hmm. And Father McCarthy, you mentioned in the article that Jesuit universities, there's 28 of them in the U.S., also face these questions. And you had a very uh, um, g- uh, good point. You said the business of Jesuit education can't be to stay in business. It has to offer something value added. It has to give its bring something special to the table, and luckily that special thing is already mostly in place. It just has to be implemented. Absolutely. I think the reason that I said that the business of Jesuit education can't be to stay in business is because you know if, if you are afraid about if, if you are fearful of, of the the future viability of, of, of a business operation, you, your your focus can be okay. How how do we how, how do we save this, right? From how, how do we not go out of business? But I think, uh, just speaking as a Jesuit, that is not the reason we have universities. That is not the reason that we have. I mean, insofar as as a university is is part of an apostolic vision of of the Society of Jesus, it's not just all about staying in business. That it is about a particular mission and a particular vision 
uh, of the of the future that that we hold dear. So how is that manifested? So if if um, you know, presuming that all other factors are equal, you know, what is this essential difference? What is this value added? What is what is the difference between say NYU and Fordham? Well, I would say well, one of the things that virtually all Jesuit universities or or high schools or any institution will talk about, and here's 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 a Latin term uh, that might not <laughs> sell very well, uh, but it's cura personalis, mm-hmm. which is which is a sense of personal care uh, for your students, and and that and that what we hope in institutions of of Jesuit learning is that. Uh, they are cultures in which this, the the attitude of care towards especially our students and to one another is so deep um, that that is constitutive of, of, of our own self-understanding. Um, and, and, and that's not to say that NYU doesn't care about its students. It right. doesn't. Right. But I would say that, that ours is grounded in, in a deeper religious sense that the student who sits in my class has been created by God. Now, this is me thinking, right? right? Has been created by God with an inherent dignity, and and that my interaction with that student has to be one of of consummate care, respect, and reverence. Right. And and I do hope that that is um, that's one of our our distinctive characteristics. And what's interesting about that is that those are all. Uh, those presuppositions are all truth claims, right? They're, they're, you're, you're making a sort of claim there to some objective reality, right? And uh, so how does that then comes right up against what you were talking about earlier, right? Which is this general suspicion of those kinds of yeah, claims. Yeah, so, so what's interesting so is how that, do you navigate that? So what's interesting is that I think there is, there is, there might be suspicion to my truth claim that every student who comes into my classroom is you know, is is made in the image of God. So there, right. there might be. So, so not everybody would um, buy into that, and there, there might be pushback uh, against that. But what is, what's curious is that even if there might be suspicion to the truth claims, um, the, the maybe the truth, uh, not necessarily the claim, but the truth, is is something that most of my virtually all of my colleagues embrace right. that that these students are worthy of our love and our care and 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 colleagues you know who who not all of whom are uh, are religious and and we're very respectful of that um, they the, their their investment in cura personalis is really very deep too so that so that the truth is something that it, that is remarkably um, uh, powerful and and consistently shared. The claim is is something that wouldn't necessarily be shared. A lot of folks, obviously, when they head off to college, are thinking, how is what I learn in the next four years going to get me a job? Now, as an English major, I was not thinking about that as much, I think. But I was, th- I was thinking, I like books. And I had genuinely no idea that this was considered like an impractical major. I was just like, this is, this is, you're supposed to do what you love in college. This is great. And so then when I got there and there were all these people, you know, like, mar- oh, I'm a marketing major. And I was like, oh, that sounds practical. Huh. That's interesting. You know, I saw the way in which a lot of there were a lot of different perceptions of like what your college major should be for. And you write about this in in your article. 
and say Jesuit colleges and universities need to sort of make a stronger case for themselves by more clearly aligning academic programming with the perceived career relevance. And so there's this uh, sense of, of sort of cultivating that whole person with the understanding that that whole person at some point probably wants to be employed. How do you balance that out? Yeah, and and in that you know things have changed. Uh, you you were an English major. I was a classics major, which is which is even <laughs> even less uh, em- employable. Although I've been uh-huh. I've been gainfully right. employed. My, all my sister was a philosophy major, and my brother was in American studies. So the three yeah. of us, my parents were very patient. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but when I was at least going into college, my parents had this notion of what we want you to be is a well-rounded person. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. and that that had that language had currency at the time. Right. Right. That 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 it really there was really a strong value in that. And and the the uh, the expectation was that, you know, you would you'd be OK. You'll get a job. You can be an English major. You can be a classics major because you will be well-rounded and you will be uh, you, you you will be able to argue. You will be able to use language well. You'll be able to work well with other people. You will be creative. Um, and you will be confident in yourself. And I think those, thing, those things still apply. They absolutely <laughs> apply, right? They absolutely yeah. apply. But, 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 um, but I think if you are a student um, or if you are a parent you know, who's being asked to invest a lot of money into an education, you are, you are hyper aware of what the return on your investment is going to be, and so I think, and I, so I think that's where I, I think we can we can still make a very strong claim that all of these all of these intellectual virtues that students get by being an English major are going to be very useful moving moving forward. But we need to kind of like draw the link to to attend to the the students or the parents' anxiety. Well, and the challenge is that they're a lot of the anxiety is around student loans and debt. You know, like so if you didn't get a job right away 30 years ago, it wasn't necessarily the same tragedy it could be for, you know, having collectors coming calling for the those loan payments Absolutely. that it is today. And 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 that's an ethical question I think that most boards of trustees, not just at Jesuit institutions but all private institutions are are very very aware of. Um so so th- th- there are reasons to be concerned. Yeah, I mean, I I know for myself, when I got out of college, I was lucky because I went on a scholarship, uh, and you know, I had no debt when I graduated, and um, that is that's a form of wealth. I mean, I had I was able to work in government, I was able to work at nonprofits because I didn't have those student loans, and so there is a way in which that debt works against our the thing that we encourage people to do, which is to you know to, to give back to the community, to to perform public service, which is not usually as uh, remunerative, but there is a. Um, I was I was having a conversation the other night with somebody uh, who works at an investment bank here in New York, and he was saying to to me, you know, when we hire somebody to be to work at this investment bank and to work with our clients, that's exactly what we're looking for. We're we're looking for a well-rounded person. I said, you know, we know about banking. We know about finance. We're not hiring somebody from the Gabelli School because they know about finance, right? You know, you, that's important that they have that training. But the, they be a well-rounded person. You want to, they, you want them to be able to talk about history, and you want them to be able to talk about politics in a sophisticated way, and so forth. Then, uh, or to ask critical questions, right? Uh, that and that that's in, in a sense doesn't really matter what major you are if you if you are that well-rounded person if you are a uh, what i guess we would call, 
they used to call a uh, a true humanist, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and and we still hear that from employers, right? We yeah. we still hear that that what employers want are people who who have a strong work ethic, who can work well in teams, and who are good at communication. Like those are and and creative, right? I think I think what may have changed a little bit. You know, and b before I worked at Fordham, I worked at a, at another university on on the West Coast, and and I said this to students. I said, you know, every you know, all of these people that we have on the on the board of trustees, they say, you are exactly what what you are exactly what uh, they want, and the students rightfully said, well, that's true. They want that in their. Uh, in their management team, right? But but to get in the door of a Silicon <laughs> right, Valley right, company, right. you know, they they want to see your your engineering degree. So I think I think yeah. it's it's somewhat incumbent upon companies right. to have a, a little little uh, longer vision, right? So that so that so that mm. students who don't necessarily have the exact technical skill that they need at this particular moment still have a chance because they will be very valuable to them in the end. Right. And this is sort of a Silicon Valley joke from the past is that Carly Fiorina, who was the CEO of Hewlett Packard, her college degree is in medieval history. Right. It, you know, it, did, it not only did it not make any difference, it benefited her. It helped her move into that position. Absolutely. Mm. And when you talk, when, when you talk to successful people in in companies in in you know in whatever coast or in, in 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 the midwest most of them have had really wonderful broad educations right yeah i i had someone uh who is a subscriber to the magazine in washington and he'd worked for 30 years uh on capitol hill in politics and public policy and so they're always sending him these students from jesuit schools and jesuit colleges because he went to bc and um, he says, what do you major in? And they say, political science. And he says, get out. It's not a science. Study philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I use it every day. <laughs> but, you know, there's some, there, there, there is also something there distinctive about um, the privilege that, say, philosophy and theology enjoy in a, in a, in a Catholic or Jesuit university, isn't there? Isn't yeah. that a, 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 in a part of that identity? Yeah, so one of the things most vir virtually every Jesuit university in the country um, uh, has core requirements that all students have to take, and and very frequently, I mean, I presume certainly in the institutions that I have been affiliated with, yeah, some of some of the courses you have to take are in in philosophy and theology, really to to ask bigger questions, and and increasingly ethics is is required of everyone, um, although I think it's important to to recognize that that ethics is not simply following a system. It's it's being formed to be a particular kind of person or a particular character um, that I think is is part of the, the the whole education. But yeah, philosophy and theology remain very important. Yeah. I've been really I was really grateful to have had a core curriculum in college because I know that there are courses that I would not have taken or learned about because not even that I didn't like them or found them dull, but that I didn't know that that was a thing that you were supposed to study or could study or what you know what that really meant to study it uh, and I think it's just a real strength of, of colleges that really help to build up that whole person and one of the things that Jesuit universities uh, or, or any institutions talk about a lot is is the majus the more right and you write about that in your piece because often when you hear about it 
it seems to be a, a, a useful like marketing term or something. We're all we're we're doing more. We're striving for more. We're reaching for more. And uh, you compare it to sort of like a, a, the Olympic motto of sorts. But I really like the way in which you sort of drill down into what this the core of this word actually means. Can you explain that a bit? Yeah. So so as I say in the article, I suspect that every Jesuit institution, certainly in the United States. Uh, uses this Latin term magus, right? Which is which is all it is. It's an adverb in Latin, meaning more. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, for for most Jesuits, it kind of drives us crazy, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> because, because because it's it, you know um, members of of marketing teams or or trustees say, hey, this is great. Yeah, we're about more. We're we're kind of like about being bigger and better and. Um, whereas, in fact, in its original context, and there's no one specific place that, that Ignatius says this is what modest means, but it is a general approach that, that being aware that you have to make choices between goods. Hmm. You look for that which is more conducive to the end for which we are created. Now, for personally, that, that, that's directly out of the spiritual exercises. Um, and and so uh, it drives me crazy a little bit that that marketing teams latch on to this word, and what we don't see is that this is uh, that this comes out of a of a basic criterion for choice of what we do and setting priorities. It's the it's the it's the um, it's a method of discernment. The method of discernment, right? Yeah. Which is something Pope Francis is always talking about. You know, we have about two minutes left, and uh, I want to get to this question that you posed at toward the end of the piece. Um, Father Joe O'Hare asked it uh, 20 years ago. Uh, he, of course, was the 10th editor-in-chief of America Magazine and uh, uh, and I think president of Fordham University For as well. For a year. <laughs> <laughs> and, but the question is, uh, what are the odds of Jesuit higher education surviving in America? Yeah, that is a tough question. And, and, um, and, and again, this gets back to the age of anxiety. I, I think there are... There are concerns that a lot of colleges and universities, not just Jesuit colleges and universities, won't be able to sustain themselves moving forward. Um, uh, and what I liked about Father O'Hare's piece 20 years ago was uh, he said, you know, if we are going to survive, we have to be grounded in in the exercises. Um, I would say that uh, it depends on about three things. One, it depends upon you know whether whether we survive. Depends on good decisions now. Mm-hmm. Those decisions are made by I would say three sets of agents. Uh, number one, uh, boards of trustees. Number two, faculties. And number three, uh, I would say the Society of Jesus, and particularly the leadership of the Society of Jesus. Uh, it depends on trustees understanding what this distinctive mission is. It depends on faculties who come from all kinds of different backgrounds uh, embracing it and uh, and it comes down to you know Jesuits deciding where they really do need to be most and what is going to be more conducive to um, to the ends for which we as a as a society of Jesus were created and and we don't have the numbers of Jesuits that we did 50 years ago. Mm. Uh, so I, I think that we are, Jesuits are going to have to make choices for themselves. Yeah. So it, essentially it comes down to that discernment we were just talking about. Mm. Absolutely. And, uh, each of us needs to do it in a way that is a, uh, proper to our vocation and to, um, to uh, you know, to how God calls us. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, Mick McCarthy, uh, thank you very much for being with us. The piece is thank called you. The Uncertain Future of Jesuit Education. You can find it at uh, www.americamagazine.org forward slash series. You can also find all of the content that we've been talking about today at uh, at that address, including our ongoing coverage of the Synod of Bishops on Young Adults um, by and and this piece by uh, Leonard De Lorenzo, Four Lessons from Mary for the Synod on Young Adults. I, that person has written for us before, haven't they? He works at the University of Our Lady, so it's appropriate that he wrote about Mary's influence. On oh, so he's on message. Yes. Well, that, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fair enough. Yeah, because I thought that we is Father McCarthy's alma mater. It was indeed. Oh, is that right? Really? <laughs> the Jesuits don't like to acknowledge that. But, it, but, <laughs> but I did go to Notre Dame. And I no, went to a Dominican school. So you notice he's telling us that at the end of the show. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> After he's just talked about Jesuit the education. The uncertain future of Holy Cross education. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, you can also follow us on, on Facebook and on Twitter. And to subscribe to America, call 1-800-627-9533. That's 1-800-627-9533 for a smart Catholic take on faith and culture. For Kerry Weber and Jim Keane, I'm Father Matt Malone. Thank you and good day. <laughs>